welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Most people don't want to be sold anything. And most people don't like having to sell something. And it turns faith into something we're selling or something we feel convinced to buy. I bring it up because we are in a series together as The Well uh, in the greater Toronto area and here at the 180 uh, called The End of Evangelism. And we're doing this series because this word has a lot of baggage with it for those on the giving and receiving end of this. There's a lot of complexity when it comes to faith. And we talked about the fact, and maybe Don mentioned this early on in the series, but the word evangelism means a message of good news. <laughs> the problem is often it's just been bad news it, for a couple of reasons. One is what we've said it is, right? Like Homer Simpson, God loves you. He's going to kill you, <laughs> right? That's how that, that, the idea of that's the good news, right? Often what we've said the good news is starts with bad news. You're going to hell. Um, do you want to get out of that? Like that sounds like bad news. Or perhaps how we've said it. You know, words like salvation, sin, heaven, they're confusing to a lot of people. Saved from what? Or, or you know, lost. God came to save lost. No one's ever lost anymore. You have a GPS. Now, my wife and I still have our best fights in the car about being lost, and I, now I know there's no hope for me. The entire satellite system in the world is helping me, and I still can't get... Right? But these, these words that, that seem, if you've grown up in church, they sound intuitive. We've been around them, but we take them out into the world, into the park, into the school, and it's like, I don't even know what that is. So our, and, and our methodology, this idea of selling or trying to convince people to believe something or say something, it, it doesn't work. <laughs> Here's the really good news. God doesn't need you to sell anything. God isn't selling anything. God doesn't need subscribers. He doesn't need you to subscribe. He doesn't need you to convince people to subscribe. You know this, right? God doesn't need anything from you. It's actually the best news. Do you know God doesn't need you is probably the best good news? Otherwise, you'd be in a codependent relationship with the supreme being of the universe. That would be scary. Where you need him and he needs you, right? God doesn't need fans. He doesn't exist on the praises or likes of people. He existed long before the world was in, and he was not only existing, he was beautiful and happy. So he doesn't need anyone to sing to him that he's beautiful and happy. We need that because we love to worship things that are beautiful and joyful. But God doesn't need it. So that's the first thing. The good news is God doesn't need this. And even better news, the good news is so good. If you're not a believer, if you're not a person of faith, I hope over the next few minutes you're going to actually think, you know what, I want every person who is to actually share the good news. Like the good news is so good that even if you weren't someone who believed it, you would want everybody who did to share it. Is that, and that's not the case, right, for the most part. And if you are, you will realize, as I, I come to really believe again every week as I write to preach, this is so good. I'm so thankful I have this. I want to share it. So we're going to get into that today because there's a whole generation of people who have said no thanks to hearing it and to sharing it. And I don't just mean the next generation, like my kids' generation. I mean, perhaps all of us in the room are like, I don't want to sell anything or I don't want to be sold to. So the good news is good. First thing though, how did we get here? 
How do we get to this place where it feels like we're selling or having to buy truth or something? It actually starts, I mean, maybe it's as old as the earth, but you can pinpoint it to uh, actually a Frenchman, French philosopher, mathematician, René Descartes. Not bad, eh? Not that bad, see? I didn't say René Descartes, right? He's sort of considered the, the, the father, one of the fathers of rationalism. He was the one, and maybe you've never heard of him, but you may have heard of this, I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. It was a question that he and many other philosophers at the time were trying to understand what is reality? How do you know anything is real? And they began to say, well, what you think, your thoughts, are the only, are the only true starting point for what's real. I think, therefore I know I exist. And that was, that began sort of this emphasis that led into the scientific revolution and the years after that we'd call modernism, where um, belief and truth begins with the mind. Ideas become the most powerful thing. And of course, that's true. An idea is the most powerful thing, right? Hitler took away the lives of six million people with an idea and a microphone. Ideas, they said, are reality. And Descartes said, this is how I know. And where that led to was that when we now come to many years later for a whole bunch of a cocktail of things, to this place where to believe, or we, we call people of faith like believers, or perhaps you call that self or that person as an unbeliever or a believer, is to give mental assent or rational thought to a set of truth statements that if you say you believe these ideas, you are a believer. Are you with me? That faith becomes something you believe in your mind. That you, you, and, and so to share faith is to say, this is what it means to believe. Point A, point B, point C. Do you believe that? Yes, you are a believer. No, you are an unbeliever. And that's how we've got to faith. And so the gospel, or the, which is really the, the old word um, for euangelion, which means good news, uh, becomes this set of truth statements that you share with other people or that you are pressed to believe. Do you believe this or not? Do you confess this? Do you say that this is true? And that becomes the measure, and that's the good news. So we have to share ideas with people, get them to believe or convince them why they should believe, and if you say yes to those things, then you are a believer or then you are a person of faith. And so it gets reduced or boiled down to, if I can even say this, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you believe that, uh, or if you believe in him, you'll go to heaven after you die. This is for many people, how, hands up, how many people are like, yeah, that's pretty much the gospel that I heard or that people said that's what you believe, right? That this is what you are supposed to tell. And if you believe that, then you're a believer. The, the problem, there's lots of problems with this. Um, one of the biggest ones is Jesus never preached that. If that's the gospel, Jesus never preached the gospel. In fact, he forgave people's sins before he died. He forgave people's sins who weren't even asking to be forgiven. He sent his disciples out to preach the good news, and he hadn't died yet. And they didn't know he was going to die. So what were they saying? Jesus died on the cross of your sins? No, they were not. They were saying something else. They were proclaiming good news. And when Jesus talked about heaven, he said, heaven isn't a someday, one day streets of gold where you play golf, which of course for me would not be heaven. That would be the other place. Golf causes me to sin, so I don't play it. <laughs> he talked about heaven not as a someday, one day place, but a reality that is existing now, that begins now, that is all around us, that is actually even in you and in him. So I think 
if we're going to talk about, and if you're here saying, I'm not sure what I believe, great. As you've heard so much today already, this is a place where you are welcome. What is it <laughs> to have faith? What is the good news that you might consider might actually be good for you as well? What is the good news that you, someone who say, yes, I am a believer. I am a follower of Jesus. What is the good news that we are sharing? I think the most sane starting point is to just ask ourselves, well, what did Jesus say it was? What did Jesus say the good news is? And there's lots of, um, of places we could uh, go. I'm just picking one of many of the things that Jesus said. We have four biographical accounts of his life, of a lot of the stuff he did, a lot of the stuff he said, the way he interacted with people. And I'm just going to pick one verse that isn't the sum total, but I think is a beautiful, succinct kind of summary of this. And this is what Jesus says to some of the people who were listening to him. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We'll just leave that up there for a moment. He says the thief comes to steal. What's he, who's, what's he talking about, the thief? In that context, he was talking about false teachers, people peddling ideas, or um, just dead religion. That comes to steal and kill and destroy. I mean, how many of us say amen to that? That was my experience. That's many of my friends' experience who never want to darken the doors of a church because that's what they think. It's dead, it steals, it kills. At best, it's boring, irrelevant. At worst, it's abusive, toxic, dysfunctional. That is dead. Jesus says, yep, that's what the thief, that's what false teachers, that's what false religion is. He says, but I have come. I have come. In other words, he's identifying himself. If, if evangelism is a message of good news, Jesus is identifying himself as a messenger. He says, I'm coming with a message. What's the message? Life to the full. Let's just camp out on that for a moment. These uh, English documents, you know, were translated from Greek. Greek, uh, we have the most manuscripts of the New Testament are from Greek, translated right from Hebrew and Aramaic and um, some of the language, Latin, the things that were being talked about in, those, in the Greco-Roman first century world. The Greeks had two words for life. One was bios, where we get this idea of biology, like physicality. You're just your body, you're breathing, you know, blood flow, all that stuff. The other word was zoe. Zoe was what the French call the joie de vivre. Life, like I feel alive. When, when someone says, oh man, I feel alive, you don't go, oh, you mean you feel your body breathing and that you're, no, no, they, they're talking about something on the inside, like a vibrancy, a fullness, a vitality, right? A, a moment where you feel and like, this is what I was made to do, or this is what I was made to be, or oh, this is living, right? When we say that, that's Zoe. Jesus uses the word Zoe. He says, I have come that they might have life from the inside out, an explosive vibrancy, vitality, and, and everyone's ears are perking up saying, oh yeah, because the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and it's dead, and it's empty, and it's lifeless, and it's toxic, but I have come for life. And he says, to the full. That phrase, to the full, the tr best translation of that is like a, an unusual amount, uh, um, an excess overflowing amount. Like an unusual, whoa, what is that? Like a, think of a fountain like exploding out of the ground or hot springs or whatever. This kind of like excessive, overflowing amount of vitality in life. Jesus says, the messenger, he says, this is the message. I have come that they, that you might have life to the full. Who doesn't want that? I mean, wherever you are on the spectrum of faith or whatever your background, everybody's chasing that. 
vibrancy. We've all had moments, right, of life where we go, oh, this is what I, whether, whether it was in your job or in relationships or love or even, quite frankly, sex, right? As we've, as we've removed God from the world, the orgasm is the new 30 seconds of heaven on earth. It's transcendence. It's why our culture worships sex. We're all looking for life to the full. Everybody has it if they feel like they have it in a moment, overflowing, and then it's gone. Which is why when Jesus later on begins to use the word eternal in front of life, oh, you mean I could have that and it would never go away? You mean I could have that vitality, that vibrancy that I've experienced once or a little bit or seemed to glimpse in this relationship that, you know, or in my life or in the job or in my body and it wouldn't leave? eternal zoe, right? That's what Jesus promised by eternal life, not just heaven someday, one day, but I'm going to make this state of vibrancy, overflowing life, permanent. Who doesn't want that? That's what we're all chasing. Except every other place we look, the more permanent we try to make it, the more addicted we become, not satisfied. And so Jesus says, I have come that you might have life to the fullest, to which I think most of us would say, okay, I'm listening. I want that. How do I get that? Where does that come from? And of course, in our suspicious culture, we're like, oh, yeah, right. What are you selling? Like, well, how much do I have to pay for that? How many months, you know, like, oh, you got to subscribe for 12 months. <laughs> how do we get that? How did Jesus, you know, he identifies himself as the messenger with this message of life to the full. How did he offer that? <laughs> how did Jesus deliver the message? Hear this. He became the message. Jesus didn't preach the good news or the gospel. He is the gospel. He is the good news. In other words, the messenger is the message. Here's what I mean by that. Look at what one of Jesus' biographers said. He said, this is in John 1.14, the word, that's kind of, that's Jesus going to explain that, became flesh and lived with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This word, word, you read here, John, it's from the Greek word logos. It means reason or the explanation, right? So let's challenge Descartes for a minute and say, no, reason, truth isn't just about what you think. The explanation for all of life, the reason, the underlying purpose, the underlying um, reason for your life and what it is you're chasing, he says, is not an idea. It doesn't say the word became a book and we read it, memorize it, and tell other people to believe it. It doesn't say the word became a tract that you can find and say, these are the three things to believe. Remember that? I don't know any of us that tract. There was that one that looked like a dollar bill that people would leave on the ground. That was the worst one. Yeah, money. You never heard this, Dom. You know all this wacky stuff. How do you not know this? You pick up a dollar bill, oh, dude, you know, do you want Jesus in your life? It's like, no, I wanted that $10 bill. Why are you, you know? The word, the reason isn't an idea. It became a person. Flesh and blood. The message is the messenger. And John, his biographer, is trying to find words to describe what they had come to believe because they didn't recognize it at first. We saw him with our own eyes. So he says, we saw the glory. We saw life to the full. That's what he's saying, right? He said he came from the Father full of grace and truth. We saw what life to the full actually looks like. 
This is the whole idea. Jesus became the truest, most beautiful picture of what a human being looks like fully alive. Jesus didn't just come to show us who God is. He came to show us who you and I can be. He came to show us what life to the full actually looks like in a living human being, a message we could hear with our own ears, see with our own eyes. That's what the gospel writers, they said, what we have seen and heard and touched and hugged and ate fish with. That we understand now is life. Jesus became, the message became flesh and blood so he could be seen and heard and known. And so here's what it means. What is the good news? We look at Jesus and see his life and say, that's what it looks like to be fully alive. Now here's the twist. What does our world and quite frankly, much of our hearts believe will give us life to the full? More money right? That's what we believe is fullness of life. We're all chasing it in some way. All I need is a little bit more is the lie we all believe no matter how much you make. All I need is a little bit more. We're all chasing sexual satisfaction in some frame, some kind. We believe life to the full is about your relationship status, right? You're dating or married, you found the one or that that one is now, you know, you know, completes you, right? Like this is what we're, this is what we believe is fullness of life. Um, your property, your job, settling down, um, education, your health, um, gaining influence, title. Like these are all the things. None of these are bad in and of themselves. But these are the things we say, oh, if I have more of that, I will have a full life. And yet look at Jesus. He had none of those things. Jesus was a single celibate person and yet seemed to be very satisfied in his life. Jesus was a person who didn't own property. He didn't have a spouse, which was a very strange thing for a Middle Eastern man in the first century. People would have thought eventually he was kind of weird, but he didn't. He didn't have any of the things that we would say lead to life, and yet he had a fullness that people could, people, he, he wasn't even, they say, a good-looking person. He didn't turn heads by how he looked, and yet people could, people broke into houses to see him. There were always crowds around him. They hung on every word because they said there's something about this man. He speaks with life and wisdom, and it just sounds more true than all the stuff we've been sold. He seemed to have a, a good group of friends, too, like an inner circle, like deep friendships, people who loved him and that he loved. He seemed to have a joy and a vibrancy and a sense of purpose, even though he didn't have a title job or a home. And he seemed, even though he didn't have what many of them came from, a poor family. Again, he didn't own property. And yet he seemed to have a lot to give to other people and was always giving himself away. He was not too afraid of title, importance, and recognition to make most of his company the people the rest of the world said they're not that important. And when he, when he spent time with power, he spoke to power. He confronted it to the point that they finally said, we have to end him. And he gave up his life on the cross. Friends, all of the things that we say we need to have life to the full, he didn't have. And it, is there anyone who has made a greater impact on the world than Jesus? I mean, regardless of what you think he was about his claims to be God, he never traveled more than 100 miles from the town where he lived. He died at the age of 33. He never held office. He never owned land. He never got married. He never had children. <laughs> and yet there are more songs sung about him than any person on the face of the earth. About him and to him. Is anyone more loved and adored than Jesus? He doesn't, there's no country or ethnic group that has the corner on him. Everybody thinks he's their God. 
He, the, his biographies have been translated in more than 2,300 languages. The next closest book is The Little Prince. Not a bad book, right? But 300, that's 300 languages. 2,300 languages. And they say in the next 30 years, it, every known language will have a version of the Jesus story in their story. Is anyone more famous? Has anyone transformed the world? When Sir Edmund Hillary summited Everest, he buried a cross at the top of it. Friends, we have to rethink what it means to have life to the full. And the way we get to rethink it is by looking at Jesus and saying, maybe life is meant to look like him. <laughs> and then Jesus says something stunning. Don mentioned this a couple weeks ago. He says to his followers, and that's why he didn't mostly tell people, believe in me. You know what his invitation was? Follow me. He said, believe a couple times. He said, follow hundreds of times. Follow me, follow him. And then he says to his followers, as the Father has sent me, now I send you. What does that mean? It means you are the messenger and the message. Your life becomes the message of good news to the people around you. I don't mean, don't go out of here saying, Don brought a heretic in. I don't mean you're Jesus. <laughs> What I mean is that your life is the credibility of the good news. The good news is not a set of truth propositions that you go out selling and try to convince people to believe. You are the message. What does it mean then to share your faith? It means that your life is full of life. It doesn't mean that everything's happy. It doesn't mean that you're always fine and nothing ever goes wrong for you and you have all of the boxes that you can tick to say, this is what makes me full. No, it means that even if you're struggling financially, you have a deep peace inside you that cannot be explained by your bank account. It means that even if you're single or divorced or separated or in a marriage that is not quite what you thought it would be, that you still feel secure on the inside. It means that even if you are denying your sexual desires for the right reasons, you are still a satisfied person on the inside. It means that even if you're being looked over for a job or you got cut from a team or you don't feel like your friends at school really kind of want to be around you, that you still see your life as valuable and that you have something to give the world. That's what it means that your life is full to the full, even if all the other boxes are not ticked. And so I want to ask you this question, really, as we close. What message are you sending to the people around you by what your life is full of? Because you're sending a message. doesn't matter what you say. doesn't matter where your words. What message are you sending to others by what your life is full of? <laughs> because if you're sharing your faith, but you're not full of life, people are just going to think you're full of it right? If you're sharing your faith, but you don't have a fullness of life, people are like, no thanks. So the sobering question, and this is where those of us who are followers of Jesus, if you're not, you get off the hook for this. You just get to sit back and go, yeah, yeah, what are you thinking? The rest of us who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Let me ask you this. What have you been full of lately? And, and I mean, in your mind, your conversations, your posts, or your actions. And let's just slow the clock down. We're going to go wherever you're going to go and you got plans. Wherever. Let's just take a moment, like a holy moment right now, just to reflect on this question. What have you been full of lately? 
right? Because if my life, if what I'm full of is the message to other people, that may be the things I'm thinking about, the things I'm talking about, the things I'm posting about, or the things I'm doing. And I just listed a few that I think like, and not to make you feel ashamed or guilty, like I'm with you in this. These are hard messages to preach, not just to listen to. But what is, what is bubbling over my life? What is preoccupying my mind? Is it worry or fear? Is it myself? Am I mostly in my conversations, in my job, in my life, in my school? Like, is it mostly about me? Is that what I'm thinking a lot about? Is that what I'm posting a lot about? <laughs> right? Is it greed? Nobody thinks they're greedy. Everyone just needs it a little bit more. <laughs> but is that what I've, has been preoccupied? Am I scheming and trying to figure out or how are we going to fix this problem? Hey, financial problems are real problems. <laughs> but is that what's preoccupying? Is that what I'm full of? Is that what I'm talking about all the time? Or is that what we're fighting about all the time? Is that what we are full of? Or is it criticism? Is mostly what comes out of my mouth what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with my boss? What's wrong with my friends? What's wrong with my family? What's wrong with my car? Whatever it is. What am I full of? Or anger. Am I finding? Sometimes, you know, you go through seasons of life where you're like, man, why am I reacting like that? What's going on in me? What's bubbling up in me? Not life to the full. Something else. Political opinions, is that the first thing on my lips? Is that the first thing I'm reading about? Do I read the publications that I'm annoyed with? <laughs> and is that amping me up? Man, the church was full of this in the last couple seasons. And it just reinforced to the rest of the world, you guys are full of it. Like, if this is what the gospel is, I don't want it. We have to repent of that. We're just resentment and entitlement. Do I feel like some bitterness? And man, when we go through hard seasons, right? It's easy for that stuff to grow in our lives. Maybe there's just one of those things, probably, hopefully, well, God's gracious, right? We all have all of them, <laughs> but usually the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, this thing today, this is, this is maybe what's been bubbling up in you. Here's my next question to reflect on. We only have two more in case you're thinking of heading for the door. Who is in your life that you can be a better message to? Here's just one person that God puts on your heart and says, you know, this person's watching your life or this person's sitting next to you in school or this person, you know, is close to you. Your life is a message to this person. Just listen. Maybe nobody's coming to mind, but maybe there's a face. Maybe there's a name. And then let's just take a moment to ask Jesus who is life to the full. Ask him to fill you with an unusual amount, an overflowing amount of his life, right? It's the good news to you first. That's what Dom said to us a couple weeks ago. This is first good news to us. Jesus was a message to us. So maybe we just need to say, Jesus, I need more of your life. If your life is anything like me, this is an ongoing, this is a daily prayer. I got to get saved every day. <laughs> I got to believe the good news again every day. Friends, it's not my job to convince you of anything or make you think or believe. I just get to invite you to join me as we go to Jesus, life to the full, and say, Jesus, fill me up again. You are the message. You are good news to me. Come alive in me again. Let me just pray for you. Jesus, it's this simple prayer. come alive in us 
again. The glory that John said that they saw with their own eyes, the glory we've sung about already today, it's in us. But we need more and more and more of you, like a, like a true fountain of life to explode through and expel the stagnant ponds of stuff that we just are full of. So we say to each other, come alive in the name of Jesus. We pray that your life would become more and more real and evident in the flesh in our lives so that the people we love would be blessed by our presence and would begin to want to know more about just how good you really are. And so we pray all of this in your name. Amen.